0: Absolutely, Jim symbol you know, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Tuesday night prayer meetings, you wait for hours to get in the church. Hours. They're lined around a block. Why? Because God's power comes down, and God does, he releases the Holy Spirit, and things happen, and miracles take place, and healings happen, and people are delivered, and, and this happens week in and week out because they have built their church on the foundation of prayer. There are other churches like that. A few of them scattered throughout the United States, but there's not many. You ask, okay, ours are 126 churches in our association. I guarantee you, 125 of those pastors do not have a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Or if they do, it is very sparsely uh, attended, and usually they just get a prayer list. You know, the prayer list consists of every ailment that every person has, you know, ingrown toenail and all these things. And, and so there's, we want it to be more than that. All right, here's number two, three, prayer unites the people of God. You will notice that all of the personal pronouns in this prayer are plural, not singular. Oftentimes, we think of our walk with God as something very personal, our prayer life being very personal. Yes, Jesus and you should spend personal prayer time by yourself, but Jesus also many times was inclusive in bringing his disciples into a prayer opportunity. Listen, we are bound together as community. We are family. It's not my father, it's our father. We all have needs and we all need one another. God has gifted all of us differently. He's put different passions within our hearts and he's bound us together so that we become a corporate body of believers. And prayer was never meant just to be merely personal exercise with personal benefits, but a discipline that reminds us how we are personally responsible for one another. Why Paul says, when you know, one's mourning, we well, all ought to mourn. When one's rejoicing, we all ought to rejoice. And as part of this, our family, we have access to the most powerful being in the universe who sees all, knows all, and directs all. So the question is simply this. If you had the ear and the favor of the most powerful being in the universe, what would you ask him for? I would dare say 99% of our responses would be something personal, right? Lord, I, I pray that, you know, God, you just like show me favor this year and give me the largest tax return I've ever had, right? Yeah. No, nothing wrong with a prayer like that. Or, you know, God, I just pray when I go to the doctor next week, I just get a favorable report. It would it'd all be pretty much inclusive of personal things, would it? When you look at your prayer list, when you look at your prayer time over the last week, how much time did you spend praying for others rather than just dropping your to-do list off to God and moving on? Number four, prayer displays the presence of God. God's power aims to advance His agenda, not ours and Jesus shows us that prayer begins with a longing for God's presence before we come for his provisions. Right, we, we swap that, don't we? God ain't got much time, but here's my list. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Before we jump into the provision part, let's spend time in God's presence. Let's align ourselves with God. Let's let's come to that with that heart of surrender and that heart of expectancy and And here's why that's important, is because our agenda often conflicts with God's agenda because our affections conflict with his affections. And our affections are what ultimately shapes our agenda, especially in prayer. So let's face it, we would like a heaven where we have a father who just gives us like this child support check every month and makes no demands. With it, like here, yeah, yeah, Greg, just phew, here it is. Do with it what you want. Do all you want. Here's the check. Check back with me next month. That's really what we want. And sometimes that's how we treat God. For example, um, when you find yourself most angry and upset with God, if you're anything like me, it's when you feel like He has done something that has crossed your will. Like God, I really wanted this. You didn't give it to me. I'm ticked. Quite frankly, I'm just I'm just ticked. Now, some of you might use more colourful language, but this is on tape. So we essentially pray, God, please let everything work out the way I want it. Help me build my own kingdom. And so by praying for God's priorities to settle in our hearts, we reject this false notion that God is a genie. Now, I'm not an expert on genies, but I do know this by movies and um Uh, TV shows, that um, something interesting about genies, no one ever struggles talking to a genie. You want to know why? Because you know that your genie is always going to give you exactly what you want. But isn't it amazing how we struggle talking with our Heavenly Father? And usually it's because there's some deep-seated anger Over things that did not happen, that did not transpire, that I asked for, that I wanted, and it didn't happen. And I demand to know why. But when Jesus taught us to pray, he reminded us that God's presence and person is precious, far more precious than even his provision So we come in community and we pray. Now Jesus invites us to pray for three things. He does invite us to pray for God's provision. Notice he says, give us this day our daily bread, not weekly, not monthly, not trust fund, not nice little nest egg. Why? Because he wants us to rely upon God Daily, I want you to write down this verse, Proverbs thirty-eight and nine. Here's what it says: Give me neither poverty nor riches; feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, Agar is simply inter- isn't simply interested in having his needs met. He wants to ensure that God's name is not profaned. Profaned. Profane, profane. And so, whether with too much or too little, he says, Listen, I'll have too much. God will be unnecessary. If I have too little, God's unconcerned. And so therefore, God, I want just the right amount. I want to be reliant upon you daily. But we don't understand that as Westerners because we don't have that kind of reliance. You can go to many countries in the world. I've been in these countries where people don't even know where their next meal's coming from. And so they are absolutely reliant upon God for their daily bread. We don't know that, right? We have jobs. We have paychecks. We have, you know, credit cards. We have gift cards, uh, none of us get up and think, wow, I wonder if I'm going to eat today. I wonder if I'm going to be able to eat today. I wonder if I'm going to be able to eat today. We we don't know that. And so it's amazing. We take God's provision for granted because we think we earned it through our own grit and intelligence. And at the same time, we begin to think that we we never have enough. Ask somebody how much money is enough. Never enough. Never enough. That answer. You see, that type of pride fosters a lack of gratitude, and when gratitude leaves the room, greed quickly enters and sprawls out, leaving no room for anyone else. And greedy people essentially say, I've worked hard for my things, so I should enjoy them. Why should I take care of someone else who has been irresponsible? That wasn't the picture of the church. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it said if necessary, they sold everything they had so that everyone who had need would be provided for. But yet now we strut around, it's like, my stuff, it's my stuff, it's my stuff. So then when God comes along and His word confronts us about giving, well, God, I'm not going to give. I don't have enough. How much is enough? How many cars do we have to drive? How big do our houses have to be? How many clothes do we have to have in our closet before we say it's enough? You see where Jesus is getting? He's pulling us back in. He's saying, man, God, God wants to make provision in your life. He does. He really does. But, but greed, greed says, money, my money is mine, and I will distribute it how I see fit. And that's why we have problems giving. Uh, why we have problems releasing. What it is that we own, when we see somebody else who has a need, because we don't think they deserve it, they've not earned it. I don't know this person; they may be ripping me off. That may be true. I'm not saying it's not. But I would step back and say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Provision, pardon. Chapter verse 12. He says, you know, we are asked God to forgive us, and we are to forgive others, and so. Jesus basically says, look, if you've received God's grace, if you've put your, pe- your, your, your feet under the table of God's grace and God has forgiven you, then you are, you are called upon to extend that same grace to others. We'll get into that later. The last one is protection. That is, you know, pardon, uh, like pardon for, is from past sin, protection is about from the, the future. Here's what we do, and when trouble hits us, Either we respond in anxiety, thinking that these things will never change, or we respond in arrogance, saying, I can handle this. You need God's protection. You can't handle things. If you think you can handle it, then you've not set up a defense against it, and if you've not set up the walls of defense, it's just a matter of time before you fall. There are pastors, big-name pastors, that are falling off the ledge one after another over and over and over and over again because they thought they could handle it. I'm close enough to God. I can handle this. So there was a study that was done by Dallas Willard wanted to find out what is the common theme. Here was the common theme, separation. They separated themselves from everything, everyone, because they thought they could handle the temptation only to find out they couldn't. Now, when you put all these pronouns together in the plural, it says we, we, should, we should not be consumed with ourselves, but we, we should always be consumed with the ways to love others, to pray for them, to do good towards them. Jesus said, even for our enemies, the people who frustrate you, the people who get on your nerves are a part of your prayer list. But oftentimes, we exclude them off our prayer list until they get their act together and they, you know, they straighten up and come and ask for apology, right? See how hard-hitting this is? See, prayer just isn't in this conversation with God. It is a part of that. But Jesus really wants us to take serious what prayer is and what it can do. It has the power to unlock and to release the Spirit of God. It's about relationship. It's about reliance upon our Heavenly Father because Jesus teaches us, I think, in this whole prayer is that we are incredibly needy, but God is extremely generous. And aren't you glad of that? Now may we be the same with others. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, (laughs) we are all at our toes stepped on this morning. Because we are guilty of so many things that we... We have just let go by in our lives. And sometimes we are so familiar with you that we, we relate to you flippantly and without thought of who it is that we are addressing. You are our Heavenly Father. You are our Daddy. You are not the mean judge sitting on, on his throne waiting to pounce on us curl things down upon us, wreck our lives. God, you want the best for us. You want good things. You want marvelous things. You want us with our feet under the table of grace. You desire that for us. And I pray for those who are here this morning who may not have had that experience. They've never come to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Therefore, their feet are not under your table of grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll knock on the door of their heart, that they might open it up to receive Christ, be Savior and Lord of their life. I pray that we as a church, we individually, will look upon prayer as a privilege, something that we are responsible, something we hold in our hands that has such potential, to release such power upon a a community, a nation, a world that's growing darker by the day and is becoming more and more lifeless towards the things of you. Father, as the prayer of your people begins to die out, thus the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you will resurge that within us. I pray that over these next 21 days, over this next month, that God, you will just just fill us with, let's drink just from the well of living water, to have that hunger and that thirst to know you and to spend time in your presence and to be used by you to unlock your promises and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. God may you unite our hearts together as one as you've called us to be a people who are salt and light who are to be ambassadors representatives of your kingdom that we might display your presence in real and tangible ways as you not only make provision for us but we make provision for others and not only do you we receive forgiveness from you but God we we choose to forgive others. We choose to release the hurt and the anger and the resentment and all the things that are pent up within us that keep us from loving. Keeps us from loving you and loving others in a way that we should. We just we just expect people to keep the rules, and when they break the rules, we're just ready to like judge them and just like throw them aside. God, that's not the relationship you came to establish. You came to establish a relationship built upon love. Teach us how to love. Protect us, O oh God. Your Holy Spirit, pull down the strongholds within our minds that hold us captive from the freedom that Jesus came to grant to us as your followers. Father, we come to you this morning. We just acknowledge up front, we are needy. We are needy. You're such a generous, unbelievable Heavenly Father. And so we come and we pray and we seek you more than anything else. We just seek you and allow the overflow of that presence to filter its way down through our lives and to spill out over the cup, my cup overflows, that it might spill out upon others around us and may they taste of you and know that you are good. Before we sing this morning, you here, you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. I'm just asking you to listen to the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, He's going to be drawing, He's going to be prompting for you to enter into that relationship, to trust in Jesus' as payment for your sin. It's Jesus who is the one who provides for forgiveness. It's Jesus who opens up the door to enter into God's presence. It's Jesus who made the way, paved the way for us, come into God's presence and know that we have we have just nestled up to the table of grace. God wants good things for you. Life is hard. Life is not always easy. Christianity is about not is not about having an easy life. Life is hard. But when you have the Holy Spirit You have an advantage that the unbelieving world does not have. You have God's presence always with you. And that's God's invitation to enter into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You can just pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins, to embrace him as Savior and Lord of your life, and to give yourself over to him and allow Him to begin directing. you. For the church, I pray that we will be known as a house of prayer. If we're not known for anything else, at least we are known to be a house of prayer. And let's see what God will do as a result of we being on our face before Him, crying out, crying out to the Lord for the things that He desires to do as He looks for those who will stand in the gap, whose hearts are bent towards Him and allow the Spirit to have access to the objects of His concern. Father, we thank You for what You're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.